0: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. I'm here with our film critic sitting across the table from me, Richard Lawson. Hello. And beaming in through our headphones, the great Joanna Robinson, senior editor of the Bay Area. Joanna and I hung out IRL yesterday.
1: We had breakfast yesterday in an entirely different city. Just
0: yesterday. <laughs> before she had to drive or fly back to San Francisco to the sounds of No More Parties in L.A. by Kanye West.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How were the parties in L.A.? Well, I guess
0: we can get into that. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Emmys. We're going to talk about the Emmy scramble surrounding it. We're going to do a Go Big or Go Home where we discuss one of the categories from uh, this year's or I guess next year's Oscars. But first, we want to talk about this new trailer just came out, Passengers... Mm-hmm. Starring two little known actors no one's ever heard of Chris Pratt and Jennifer. How do you say her last name? Richard? Laurence. Laurence. <laughs> Laurence. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. It's French. Yeah. <laughs> By Morton Tilden, yeah. who directed The Imitation Game.
3: Hello. Wow. You clean up pretty good yourself. Don't you two look fine this evening. We're on a date. Very nice took you long enough to ask. So, why did you give up your life on Earth? We boarded the Avalon with a destination. 120 years hibernation means a wake up in a new century on a new planet. But a year ago, everything changed. Do you know what's going on? Nobody else is awake.
0: I think something went wrong with the hibernation pods. We woke up too soon. Nine years too soon.
3: This can't be happening. We have to go back to sleep. We can't. Aurora, we love you! There's a reason... We woke up early.
0: So, it's fresh in our minds. It just broke this morning. There's a lot of references going on in this thing. It looks kind of cool. What do you guys think? Richard, what's your first thought?
2: Well, I remember when they screened footage of this movie back at, um, well, it used to be called Show West. Now, it's CinemaCon. And the buzz there was like, oh, it's a big action spectacular. It's not an Oscar movie. But based on this trailer, I mean, they're going for big series. They're going for Gravity is the most
0: obvious yes. reference I saw. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued. But also. 2001. Well, 2001. And then my favorite Ridley Scott movie that nobody likes. Oh, Prometheus. Prometheus. Yeah. There's a Prometheus thing going on. Mm-hmm. But also. The Shining. The Shining. Right. The bar is the bar from The Shining.
1: Yeah, and, and Michael coat, no. Sheen, who plays a robot, is dressed exactly like the bartender in The Hotel in The Shining. Um, I would love to see a movie <laughs> where Michael Sheen plays an evil robot who woke them up to murder them through various uh, spaceship ways. I don't know that that's what we're going to see, but that's the movie I want to see. I don't want to see some like romantic, epic sweeping drama, which I think is what we might be in for.
2: The question is, though, do you hire Michael Sheen just to play a robot bartender in a couple scenes? Who knows?
3: Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15 for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now.
0: So the setup, let's just take one step back. The setup is... Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence and presumably a whole bunch of other really good looking white people are uh, put to sleep inside these pods. We're familiar with this from all these sci-fi movies now. If you want to travel to a far off planet, you have to be like freeze dried and then thawed when you get there. (laughs) But they thought early, 90 years before arrival, so they're kind of like stuck on this ship and they got to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what I'm gathering.
2: So this movie has been kind of in the works for a long time and it's gone through a lot of different casting iterations. And I think originally it was Keanu Reeves and Reese Witherspoon, like maybe four or five years ago. And back then, the kind of like log line was that he wakes up and then needing a companion wakes her up which is like and my joke this is back when I was I think I was still writing for Defamer so that's (laughs) it I was like oh so it's about the worst man in the universe yeah
1: (laughs) well no and I I think that might be still what we're seeing right because at the end of the trailer it's like there's a reason we woke up early and I suspect he is going to have to say I woke you up and so it's like boy meets girl boy gets girl Boy admits he woke her up 90 minutes before their destination. Right, but, but Boy, this, isn't, certain th- death this isn't like the... I
2: asked you to prom on a on a dare.
0: This is like, a, <laughs> I ruined your life. Yeah, yeah, but it's such a guy thing. Like, the yeah. baby's crying. Could you get up? Yeah. Because I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, Joanna, I want to ask you about this because that seems like a generational changing of the guard. If only four or five years ago, this was going to be Keanu and, and Reese, and now it's Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. We know how huge Jennifer Lawrence is. How huge is Chris Pratt? Is Chris Pratt just like the hugest movie star in America now, who's a guy, or what?
1: He was huge after Guardians of the Galaxy, and then he did Jurassic World, which was, like, the movie that ate the world, you know? So, like, he is. And the thing that I lament most, I mean, I don't mean to be completely negative about this trailer, there's a lot of good in it, but I love funny Chris Pratt. And I am sort of sad we keep seeing smoldery Chris Pratt, uh, you know, square jaw, handsome leading man Chris Pratt. He's definitely very beautiful and did all the sit-ups in the world to get those abs so good good for you but does that mean you can't be funny too? You know, you've got so much charm and charisma between these two actors and at least what they're showing us in the trailer is a lot of angst and drama.
0: But why does Hollywood do that to people who are funny and charming? Why does it over time set up the incentive so that they become kind of more and more sculpted and less and less amusing? I almost... Don't think it's that bad. I just find it fascinating that there's something about the movie star. It's like you're not funny. You're not the class clown. You're the hero, and you have to not be bending over backwards to crack people up. You can be witty and kind of cute, but you're not just outright You need the charm. You're not a clown. You need to win us over. I don't know.
2: I mean, I think that um, an interesting sort of way station in the Chris Pratt career is coming up with Magnificent Seven because yes. he's kind of marrying both smoldery and funny. He's
0: really in good in that too yeah. and has that yeah.
2: He's yeah. Got so both I think going that on. like so but I think that in terms of why a funny actor gets famous and then maybe tries to do some serious stuff. I mean they obviously want to experiment and try new things, but I think there also is this hard sort of wired narrative in Hollywood that in order to have the top tier respectable movie career like megastar, you have to kind of be known to do all things, but if you're doing all things you know, everything gets a little diluted, so you're you're never right. like a hundred percent this or a hundred percent that. Funny or serious or whatever. So I think he's kind of on that. I think what's interesting about Chris Pratt is that it went really quickly. You know, yeah, the, that progress seems to have happened between three or four movies, not ten.
0: Well, when Keanu was set for this role, he was presumably thirty pounds overweight in Parks and Rec, playing like the doofy moron. Chris, Chris Pratt,
1: was. Pratt was, yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah.
1: The thing that strikes me about this film more broadly is that. I feel like if you're going to do a movie about someone lost in space, you really need all the charisma you can muster, right? You've got Matt Damon or Sam Rockwell and Moon. You know, if you've got someone just sort of banging around alone or just a two-hander, you just need that charisma to fill the antiseptic sort of space space. I just hope that Morton Tilden is going to use all the tools that these two actors definitely have. I just don't see that in the trailer, but, you know, trailers can be deceiving. Well,
0: right. So there is something, especially in that opening scene where you've got the robot delivering the um, date request. Right. um, Where you're expecting J-Law being J-Law to, like, shut him down or something. You're like, wait, she's just saying yes and they go on the date? I don't know. It uh, looks like a Samsung. It's, like, filmed (laughs) in a very particular way. Like... Um, Right. We
2: expect edge from both of these people. That's why we fell in love with them in the first place. Right. I mean, my guess is that scene is way further in the movie than the trailer suggests. But I wonder if we can learn anything from Tildum's previous film, The Imitation Game, which, you know, was a very sort of Weinstein Oscar play with a huge Oscar campaign behind it. And I think was Keira Knightley nominated as well as Cumberbatch? I think she was. So he's yielded results in the Oscar sense, but, you know, fairly recently. So I'm wondering, Joanna, does this look at all Oscar-y to you?
1: Maybe for like visuals or something like that. But I doubt for performance. You know, the reason Morton Tilden's name sticks in my mind so firmly is the year he was nominated for Best Director was controversially the year Ava DuVernay was sort of skipped over for Selma. Maybe it's unfair to compare, but when people were lamenting her absence, I was like, well, fine, who would you get rid of? And I think most people were like, Morton Tilden, because the Imitation Game had a great performance by Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, but generally felt... More subdued than what I think we wanted from that movie. Just a little almost TV to me. I don't know. What do you think?
2: Yeah, that movie was a very nice, like, miniseries. It didn't quite feel like as big and cinematic, maybe, as they
0: wanted it to. I did a. Well, okay, it was a stacked audience, but I did a Q&A with the whole cast, actually, mm, which sure. was, talk about, stressful. There was, like, 12 people on the stage. And I had already seen the film, and I liked the film. It wasn't one of my favorites of the year, but mm-hmm. it was. I thought it was good. But it absolutely killed in that audience. Again, people are, like, excited because they're going to see Benedict Cumberbatch and Karen Knightley afterwards. But I think that, you know, we can be frustrated as film lovers that certain kinds of movies... Keep getting nominated. That may not be our favorites, but that was a complete fastball down the middle Oscar movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it hit, it did everything it needed to do as a Best Picture nominee. Wait,
2: did, are you saying that the Academy likes
0: World War Two movies? <laughs> what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't, I don't period what dramas? It. What? Like it, it just it, it hit all of its marks. You know, uh, yeah. and and I, I enjoyed it kind of more than I expected to. While I'll admit that there were other movies I was more emotionally invested in. So we'll see. This looks competent. Hey, you know, if nothing... <laughs> He's yeah. the, the very competent Morton Tilton. Yeah,
2: if nothing else, in a season of serious heavy drama and then big spectacle, like this seems like maybe a nice middle ground coming out, you know, I would take my parents to see this over Christmas. Yeah. You know, so.
0: And if I were going to be stuck on a spaceship facing certain death... J-Lon, Chris Pratt. That's a that's a good pair and of people to do Michael that with. Sheehan. Michael, Sheehan. Oh, half of Michael, yeah, half of
2: Michael. I'm, I'm coming for half of Michael.
1: <laughs> but, it, but it's the bottom half. It's the robot. It's the robot exactly.
0: <laughs> and the Emmy goes to Rami Malek, Mr. Robot. Okay, so we have to talk about the Emmys, and I'm excited to talk about the Emmys because I got to go to the Emmys. And Joanna and I got to do a panel talking about our predictions, some of which panned out quite nicely. And then there were a bunch of parties afterwards. So there's lots to discuss in terms of actual just funny stories, like meeting the whole Travolta family and things like that. But let's start with the awards. Joanna, you wrote a wonderful piece that was one of the most popular things on the site in the last week, normal for you, about Rami Malek. Let's talk about Rami Malek. You had mentioned this before on the show, but d- to you, that seems like a real changing of the guard for best actor, huh?
1: It does. Rami was a favorite to win. So me predicting he was going to win wasn't any sort of stroke of genius. But I think the larger narrative... Of Although he
0: is- seemed surprised, didn't he? He, he <laughs> seems kind of like shocked. <laughs>
1: Well, he's an actor. That's, That's true. That's, true. Do. That's a very good I, like, point. I really I keep watching the gif of the moment where it was announced because Odin Kirk, knowing he wasn't gonna win, just took the opportunity to turn to camera and say hi, Mom. It's pretty cute. Um <laughs> So if you watch the gif of Rami Malik going like, Oh my god, over in the other corner, Bob Odin Kirk's like, Hi mom. Um so <laughs> some people were questioning it because season two of Mr. Robot was probably more missed than hit, but I think Rami Malik's performance Throughout both seasons, both the good and the bad of that show has been consistent and consistently sort of electrifying. Whether or not you see this as a huge departure from the white male antiheroes who have dominated the category, like I said, with the exception of Kyle Chandler in Friday Night Lights, who's just a hero hero. I do. I see a very skewed worldview from this character versus the worldviews we've been seeing from our lead actors in a drama for a very long time. You can call his character an antihero, but he's not the kind of anti-hero we've seen before. And I think Malik made a similar sort of comment in in his speech where he's like, you know, this is for the Elliot's of the world. We're all a little bit Elliot. And it's true. Like this is a really isolated, weird, mentally ill character. And so for that to be celebrated by the television Academy, I think really speaks to the way peak TV, use an FX term has opened up the various perspectives that we see on our television screens. So you get Aziz Ansari up there for writing a story that's just a very personal him story about his parents and his writing partner Alan Yang, his writing partner's parents. You know, so you're seeing the Academy celebrate these very off the usual Emmy beaten path worldviews. I
3: play, I play a, a young man who is, uh, I think, like so many of us, profoundly alienated, and. Uh, the unfortunate thing is I'm not sure how many of us would want to hang out with a guy like Elliot. Uh, but I want to honor the Elliots, right? Because there's a little bit of Elliot in all of us, isn't there?
0: Richard, what did you think of the speech? Because I went to the bathroom and got locked out of the auditorium during it, so I didn't <laughs> actually witness it.
2: I thought it was nice. I think that as sort of critically popular as Mr. Robot is, I doubt that a ton of people in the audience were that familiar with the show. So I think he, him kind of referencing this character and sort of saying this is for all of them. I think a lot of people were like, I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> you mean the audience at home? The audience at right. home? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We're
2: just like, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I thought it was good, and I was happy. It was just nice to see something kind of new. You know, the Emmys have had historically a problem with just giving the same things over and over again to the same people. So this felt well, like I f- a good. I
0: feel like I keep saying changing of the guard. This is the changing of the guard episode, but. It felt to me like there were a lot of edgy wins, a lot of people winning for the first time. I think you referenced Jimmy Kimmel's joke about, you know, maybe there's too much diversity. Obviously, there could never be too much diversity, but do you think that... Was that voting rules? Is that like, are we at some kind of inflection point in entertainment? What's going on? Does anyone have any thoughts on what's going on?
1: Well, I think you can't ignore... The impact that uh, the Oscar So White campaign would have, where yeah. voting members of any academy is like, we don't want to be pegged as hashtag so white. I don't think that means necessarily that they would vote for someone they don't think is qualified. I just think they would, be, they would have that in their mind.
0: More conscious of it, which might affect your thinking. Yeah. At least. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But also, you know, without question, the biggest show of the year, I think, well, uh, d- depending on your definition of biggest, People vs. O.J. had built into it, because it's so much about race in America, had built into it all these great performances by non-white actors, which yeah. is where you a lot of the diversity in wins and nominations in this
0: well, year. And I just was so heartened that the people that I was hoping would win actually won, even though the people I was afraid would beat them in classic old-timey Hollywood way were also nominated alongside them but they still gave it to Sterling and Courtney and everybody involved seemed to know that that was right and be thrilled about it, you know? And then Sarah Paulson, even Sarah Paulson, you know... She's an edgy person in her own right, you know? And so, three of them. Exactly. (laughs) So, for the three of them to be up there and celebrate it, and certainly I felt incredibly excited about that show. I just felt, I don't know why I felt so personally invested in that show, but I feel like a lot of people did. There's something about it. You just Uh, wanted to see it uh, win. I think it has something to do with the kind of 20 year history of it. Yeah. It was like when we were all
2: younger. It just feels very um, close to the bone. I mean, there's. A far vaster landscape on television. The Emmys have many more categories than the Oscars do. But I think that what the, this year's Emmys prove, to hopefully to the Academy, to, to the movie industry, is oh, if you actually create good, diverse content right you can award that content diversely yeah. and you know i mean it's it's not that hard to give sterling k brown or courtney b vance or regina king or rami malek or sarah paulson awards when they're doing really good work because yeah. they were given the, the work to do so yeah hopefully everyone can take that as a lesson i mean well, the same way that the tonys <laughs> showed it in june where like sure. all four acting winners were not white you know
0: yeah and it's funny because when greece live beat beyonce i jokingly tweeted you know we live in a world where Grease Live beat out Beyonce for an award. And a bunch of people were like, oh, my God, this makes me worried about Trump. And I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah. But also the whole message of the show to me was like, even if Trump ekes out a victory, we do not live in Trump's America, right? right? This is a country that is only getting more diverse. The voices that are being heard and celebrated are only getting more diverse. You can sign up with that little group of angry people who don't like the way this is going, but it's going, you yeah. know? So enjoy it. This is It was fun. It was a fun thing to be part of.
1: Well, I just do want to say in defense of Greece Live. Uh, Tommy Kale, who directed that, as much as I didn't like a lot of Grease Live, I really admire the directing job he did with it. (laughs) Tommy Tommy Kale of Hamilton fame. So, you know... He did a great job engineering that. I mean, whether or not it touches Lemonade, I, I can't tell you.
2: No, I think, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. Grease Live was a much more impressive feat of, of television direction than Lemonade was. As beautiful as Lemonade is, that's, yeah. you know, it's a it looks like a, a lot movie. of ads or a lot of movies. It looks great. But like Grease Live was such a vast, moving, many-part machine that, yeah, give it to that guy. I mean He did a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And the people there voting know how hard that is you know right exactly
2: it doesn't mean i like grease live more than lemonade at all it's just like as a directing thing so you guys mentioned that you did this predictions panel and everything like that is there any prediction that you got right that you're particularly proud of or
0: is there one that you're like can't believe you got wrong you know joanna tell me if you agree with this the person who gets bragging rights is josh who was totally on the tatiana thing and we were all didn't dare to think that she was going to win yeah josh yeah, was just josh like no tatiana's gonna I, I think he she's just gonna sensed do it. in the air or something yeah he called it he called that which yeah, i think was he a talked long to shot
1: her. yeah he talked to her on saturday so there's a great interview with her up on vf.com and you know, i didn't think it was going to happen i mean that's another story of the evening is a uh, genre i mean a game of thrones winning last year did a big thing for getting genre television on there but you know tatiana won for a sci-fi show mr robot is kind of a sci-fi show it's a post-apocalyptic yeah. show at any rate you know so there's a lot of genre television being celebrated uh i'll give myself uh, as ghost it may be a little bit of credit for <laughs> for calling dame maggie smith you know for calling the That's three game right, of thrones actresses would cancel each other out and dame maggie smith would win so everyone's I mean, like the, the,
0: no way the air came out of the room at that moment people were just shocked frankly yeah
3: well it's something that
2: had made that
0: long bit yes like that added to this thing and it's like
1: motherfucker like again (laughs) he came out and took it yeah (laughs) i mean it seems like they knew because those presenters then went on to present another category so i feel like they were just like let's do this as a bit and then move on and i almost feel like lena heady knew and that's why she didn't show up she's like oh it's I, possible you know, yeah maybe she was know.
2: having tea with Maggie in England <laughs> um, one right. thing about the Tatiana Maslani thing speaking about this kind of like uh, you know tweeted reactions was someone on Twitter when she won said oh so the Academy finally got around to watching the first season of Orphan Black and yeah. you know because like you know we're talking about Rami Malek winning for a lackluster season of a great show you know arguably Orphan Black has sort of declined in quality since well, the first you know, season you know what else Ben Mendelssohn for Mendelsohn. Bloodline Mendelsohn. I mean oh, that was totally. such one
0: and I, and like, I was like wait that's season for two. season two
2: yeah yeah Amazing in season one. Give him all yeah. the Emmys. He should have won an Oscar for that. Yeah, it's a big cruise ship of an Academy. Like, and yeah. and getting it to notice something is pretty hard. And sometimes it takes a couple That's seasons. Just so
0: much stuff to watch, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of also, kind of the the, the Academy being big and, and slow, with Julia Lee dreyfus now winning five in a row, historic for a wonderful performance on Veep. Can we just make her not eligible anymore? Like, is that yeah. possible? Or should that have
0: happened three Emmys ago? Although I will say her acceptance speech yeah. was was yeah. really something else. But you know, primarily because she just suffered this personal, you know, yeah, which, I, her which father, I don't know that anyone go. had
2: really known about. Like, no,
0: and I don't know if you could see on TV, but you could see on the big screens in the room. So presumably, it's the same crop that her hand was shaking from the beginning. Mm. and yeah. I thought. This is your fifth one in a row. Why is she nervous? Yeah. But she kind of hinted at it early in the speech, saying, Richard Plepler, you've been so great, especially in this past week. And you think, what's going on? Yeah. And as she was walking off, you could see, I think she really just got totally overcome by emotion as she was walking off the stage. That was something. But, yeah, I'm sure even Julia Louis-Dreyfus would be like, okay. it's fine. Like, okay. where am I going to put these things? Right. At some I, point? I
1: mean, I am. <laughs> I, uh... I think I know who Richard would have wanted to win in that category, which is probably Laurie Metcalf. Is my, that is my is guess? Yes, correct. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious, uh, Mike, between Ellie Kemper and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Tracy Ellis Ross and Blackish, Amy Schumer in of Amy Schumer and Lily Tomlin in and Grayson Frankie, who would you want to take it over? JLD.
0: Can I give it to Laurie Metcalf? Yeah, uh, you sure, sure can. can please, sure, please
1: do. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I think. And I don't watch Getting On, so that's my bad. But like, I would be rolling my eyes a little harder at Veep if it hadn't survived the changing of the guard between Armando Iannucci and David Mandela's showrunner. I thought this season was going to be garbage because, sorry, that's too harsh. But like, you know, I was really worried because Armando Iannucci is such a strong voice. And I was like, why are they going to do more Veep when their, you know, their strongest voice is leaving? And I thought this season was better than ever. So, you know, for that alone, I'm okay with her taking home her 900th Emmy.
0: That's also valid and then also a reason why when they won at the end, it was actually meaningful. You know, we shot a video with Matt Walsh at the White House for White House Correspondence Dinner with Funny or Die a few months ago back in the spring. And he was talking about that just informally. So I don't want to say anything that he doesn't want publicized. But, but all he was saying was that, you know, when they all had to go to Baltimore or whatever, it was like being on a college campus. Like they spent all of their time yeah. just with each other, hanging out, having fun. And now that they can do it in LA, it's more like a regular job and they commute and they have their own lives. And he said, in many ways, it's much better because you can be with your family and sure. have your life. But that's a big difference. And I'm sure that helped the show, that immersiveness of everyone being there in one place. So it is it is totally cool that they manage that transition. And even in like the opening montage or something, there is something so sharp about the writing of that show oh yeah you know it just yeah. stands out from everything else they really are
2: well i mean a special I, show not to kick a once top seated show and it's slightly down but like in that opening bit with kimmel trying to get to the emmys when you have modern family doing it's you know oh cutesy thing and then veep yeah. right after you're like oh man yeah. that's such a sharper show yeah So aside from the show, you guys were there for the lead up and then VF co-sponsored
0: a party. Tell me about that stuff. Anything stand out? Well, we had this great party that we co-hosted with FX. It was a lot of fun. And we had everyone from People vs. OJ, Fargo, the Americans. We had Louie Anderson from Baskets. Just a really great group of people there. Justin Bishop took pictures uh, of everybody with this incredible set with old TVs, and everyone should just look at those pictures. The funniest one, I think, is Cuba Gooding Jr., but Sarah Paulson, I got to be in there when she walked in, and she just climbed right up on top of one of the things and immediately did this totally badass pose. Regal, yeah. Regal pose. <laughs> she knew exactly what she wanted out of that picture. And, um, it was something to watch. I mean, she's just in the zone, and you can tell it's not easy, you know, to do that. And On her way out, she's like, "Oh, just one more day of this." And I couldn't help it. Like, who am I to say it? But I was just like, you know, you got to enjoy this while it's going. She's like, "I know, I know," <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's stressful. It's a nightmare. She knew what was coming, but like, I'm sure there's stress. Like, what if I don't get it? I'll be so embarrassed. Everybody's saying I should get it.
2: Yeah, you know. she said as much on the red carpet. She was like, yeah. "I just feel like I'm going to let a lot of people down if I don't." Because Juliana, right. of course, was like, "You're the favorite twin," and it was
0: like, "Oh, yeah. Juliana, <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah." And Until you go up there and accept that thing, you can't really enjoy this moment that's supposed to be your moment because you don't know. You could be humiliated,
2: really. And then she gave a great speech when she did win. I love what she said about Marsha Clark and said, I'm sorry for judging you incorrectly, you know, 20 years ago. I just class act the whole way through.
1: She was so lovely, but just kind of seeming overwhelmed. She started crying bunch of people started crying at that party, actually. Louie Anderson started crying. But she started crying because we told her that every single People vs. OJ actor we talked to, and this is true, Cuba, Travolta, Sterling K. Brown, every single one of them we asked what they wanted from Sunday night, and they were like, for Sarah to win. Like, everyone. That was the momentum of that party. And I talked to some Fargo people, too. And Fargo got shut out, and it's just too bad because these two great network miniseries Mm -hmm. battling each other, and so I was asking Bokeem Woodbine, who was one of the nominees, uh, so good in season two of Fargo. And he was just talking about how much, I mean, they say, oh, it's a pleasure to be nominated. But, you know, Bokeem Woodbine went from being a name people didn't know to being in the new Spider-Man movie. So he's yeah. like, I've already seen the benefit of being in this show. And then he gave me this great, weird, esoteric, Fargo-esque metaphor where he was like, you know, <laughs> if, if you're hunting buffalo, you want to be the one to kill the buffalo, but the truth is, whoever kills a buffalo, we're all going to eat. Just talking about the FX brand and how much they stood to gain from that evening. And <laughs> it's true. I mean, Fargo yeah. got shut out. But FX, like the stars, continues to be on the rise. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think that with him, Bokeem Woodbine, too, it's like he was kind of big in the 90s. And then he came back. And now he's back with this Fargo role. Like I think there was a lot of that exciting kind of energy in the room where you're right, Joanna, people were just really genuinely happy to be nominated. And it was because it was for weird, difficult work that somehow just struck a chord. I'm sure that the mood at the party was good for that reason. And I enjoyed looking at the pictures from afar. I mean, I was at a wedding, so it's not like I was just sitting at home. (laughs) uh, I was giving a toast at a wedding, but.
0: Yeah. So that was a cool event. And then afterwards the governor's ball was interesting. Got to talk to john travolta a bit who was very sort of charming and yeah. happy to oh. chat and what he said to me was i'm just savoring this whole thing he goes i am old enough to know how rarefied as he put it this this type of thing is like these don't come along very often and i, I said to him because i was walking in with uh, jeffrey Tubin and and jeffrey Tub who wrote the book the people versus oj is based on and his wife said to me you know I don't know. I got to see a little part of this. Seems like a fun way to make a living. And I said to her, I think it's fun when it works and it's like a nightmare when it doesn't and it usually doesn't. And yeah. I, I mentioned that to Travolta and he goes, Now it's 100%. That's how it is. She's like, even with this, we knew it was clicking while we were doing it, but you can never anticipate you know if if the audience is actually going to like it if awards voters are actually going to like it like you can't there's no way to plan for this thing you know the network gets nominated for 56 emmys and everybody wins in their categories and all that stuff so yeah that was cool and then uh who else i don't know then we all, you know we got to go to the hbo party i, I almost, heard that was quite nice <clears> yeah it was it was that was a big event i uh i will admit I hope my cardiologist isn't, li- isn't listening that I um, tried bumming a cigarette from two young women, one of whom turned out to be Sansa Stark, and uh, <laughs> but uh, they didn't have any. <laughs> but when when she turned me down, she said, uh, I wish I had one, but I don't, alas and alack, which uh, oh, so was, very was very Sansa. And cute. then I went and almost went up to Ramsay Snow, the actor who plays Ramsay Snow, mm-hmm. and said, congratulations, a bunch of people won Emmys for killing you off tonight. Right. And then I thought, that's going to upset him. Why right. don't say that to an actor? <laughs> he he doesn't want to be <laughs> here. Since something his like last that. dance. I mean, this is it. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I just left him alone to have I a nice think, night, I think and, that's and fine. I went home to bed.
2: <laughs> so how does this kind of Emmy swirl, like post parties, all that stuff, compared to the Oscars? How are the moods different?
0: I think people are having more fun because the stakes don't seem as high. You right. right? know, there's just something inherently stressful about the Oscars. Right. It's like. And the glory is high, and then the the, the loss is The fact that people kind of look at the Emmys being like, it's an Emmy. Right. Makes it more, just the whole thing's more fun, you know? Yeah, it's a really nice thing to get, but it's not. Right. You're psyched to get it, but you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Emmy might be a stepping stone to your Oscar. The Oscar's just like, ugh, now what? Am I allowed to live? You know? (laughs)
2: So. Well, it sounds like kind of the middle tier. I was talking to somebody at Toronto um, and they were like, oh, you've got to go to the Golden Globes parties. And I was like, well, I mean, why? And he said, because they're all in the same hotel and you just kind of hop from party to party. And I was like, that yeah. sounds amazing. Right. Oh, yeah. Plus, <laughs> I mean, it all sounds fun. <laughs> everyone
1: but. is like pre-funked at that ceremony, right? right? So everyone's just primed for a good time. Yeah.
0: Any LA thing where you don't have to go from event to event and get stuck, you know, and the in police traffic, were doing it, their yeah. thing. Like on the way to the HBO party, the police set up a checkpoint. And so we had to wait for twenty minutes in a line. Do you think the police just wanted to yeah. see Game of Thrones? I totally. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, yeah.
2: any way you could just walk from one thing to another would always be good. Well, it sounds like it was a good weekend, and I, I didn't. I thought the show itself was not the most thrilling, but I think a lot of the winners were exciting. So I think that that's that counts for a lot.
0: And I, as a music snob. I'm really embarrassed that the Hallelujah thing just worked totally on me. The memoriam. Really and I was very yeah. impressed by how they stitched the quotations, mm-hmm. the dialogue in with the live music. I was like, wow, I mean, I'm sure she's working with a click track the whole time. Then the New York Times ran this thing this morning being like, Hallelujah, even more than ever, the most overused song in the history of songs. Right. And Maura Johnston wrote about this for vanityfair.com in 2010. <laughs>
2: Well But in the I moment think, I was just yeah. like This is just beautiful
0: <laughs> I think it, there, has been a, there have been a few years I think a Peak
2: Hallelujah saturation Was a while ago Maybe right. when Mora wrote about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. For us I don't know I wasn't hearing the song For the first time You right. know But I was like, still like Oh this song You know yeah. <laughs> So I felt she did a nice
0: it. job I think she did yeah.
2: skip the like really um sexually intense lyrics yeah. and there's an interchangeable lyric between I think the Jeff Buckley version and the one Carter version or something where she used one of the kind of the, kind of the softer version yeah.
0: yeah yeah probably for the best on a family <laughs> show
3: I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music do you
0: Joanna any final takeaways from the whole shebang
1: uh yeah well you know if you want to tally up who's the larger winner of the Emmys you know HBO and FX uh each took home six awards which is kind of a big deal for for FX certainly and Game of Thrones only won three I know that sounds crazy to say only but you know they they lost all their acting Emmys
0: and they were really expected to win two acting Emmys right
1: Well, I really, you know, I really did think that those the voting rules were going to really hit them with actors competing in the same category. But that was not the case with people versus OJ. Those actors competing in the same category still won the award. The last thing I'll say is that it was a big night, not just for FX, but other basic cable programming because BBC America and USA took home like the big acting awards. Like, that's kind of crazy. So, you know, just to look at how not to use the phrase again, but peak TV is spreading the wealth beyond HBO, beyond Showtime, beyond the networks, to all these other offerings. And Netflix went home with very few. And the big narrative last year was, oh, streaming TV is the future of the Emmys. But, you know, Amazon took home two for Transparent and Jeffrey Tambor. Netflix took home one for uh, Aziz Ansari, one for Patton Oswalt. And I feel like there's one more that I'm forgetting, but pretty low. Mandelson. Mandelson. there you go. Metal it was a sort of a, we don't think that that was quite right to yeah. win. <laughs> so, but actually, and they well, canceled Bloodline, they canceled one of their like Emmy Hopeful shows. So, I don't know.
0: I mean, it's certainly a big night for Basic Cable, but Basic Cable, that's doing right. the same strategy that the streaming guys are doing, is starting to be who made the best choices using the same kind of strategy and the same allocation of resources. This distinction is going away, don't you think?
1: Well, I disagree. Like, what do you mean by strategy? Because I feel like Netflix's strategy is let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. There's a new Netflix show every other weekend, okay. whereas, that's, whereas you know, the other fair. ones have a few that they're very carefully putting up, I think. I mean, or BBC America and USA just got lucky with these two actors. But as for FX, you know, I, I know I sound like such an FX shill and I really do apologize. But, y- you know, Landgraf has said we never want more than I think it's 20 Original shows going at once. That's about as much as we can carefully launch and take care of. Whereas Netflix is like the more content, the better, right?
0: uh, Yes. I I, I mean, I think there's there's certainly a difference in volume and and probably in how well thought through each thing is. I'm sure Netflix would object to that. But presumably with a certain point of volume, you're not thinking through each thing as much. But the general strategy, which is like the only way to survive in this environment is to make really distinctive shows that have a point of view with a really strong creator and a great cast, Mm -hmm. which is sadly... (laughs) A relatively recent discovery right. in the grand scheme of things.
1: But I wouldn't call that a streaming strategy because I would source that to shows like, I mean, once again, to sound like an FX show. Louie, you know, uh, Louie is one of those things where you give a writer, director, actor, sort of full control of their show and launch that very uh, well, distinct yeah, point of view.
0: I would say it's a yeah. premium cable strategy Sure, that okay. then migrated to both streaming and to basic cable as everybody realized like if we don't do this then we're dead right I like HBO right, yeah. would have died if it hadn't created The Sopranos so what's our Sopranos basically right. everybody yeah. had to think about right uh, and AMC did it with Mad Men and you know take it from there so you're saying next year is Crackles year <laughs> probably <laughs> at long last don't count them out Richard, do you want to take us through Yeah, we're going to do a really quick go big or go home because we
2: talked about the Emmys for a long time, as they deserve to be talked about. So because we were talking about Morton Tildom and Passengers and Imitation Game, he was nominated for Imitation Game a few years ago. I thought we could just kind of wildly speculate quickly about who do we think could win or at least will be nominated for Best Director this year. I'm going to throw out one that I'm very curious about because the New York Film Festival has just started. And one of the, f- the most anticipated films there is Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, directed by Life of Pi and Brokeback Mountain Oscar winner Ang Lee. And so I think that depending on how that movie plays, I think that he's, he's always a strong shot. The interesting thing about that movie and about its presence at New York Film Festival is that they do not have a press and industry screening for that movie at the New York Film Festival because, at least this is what I've heard, it's going to be projected in this crazy frame rate. It's shot in this whole new way, this movie, that the projector is so expensive to buy and then to rent and to use that they're not doing a second-person industry screening So it's just the one public screening of this movie at the festival. So I'm already on the begging publicist for ticket wow. beat. So I don't know. I, I have no idea what to think about the movie. I talked to some people in Toronto who knew somebody at Fox who'd seen it or something and said it was something, you know. So it's all very shadowy, but I don't know. I never count on Lee, so that's what I'm going to say.
0: Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Joanna, what do you think?
1: I'm going to go my long shot, I guess. <laughs> it's going to be a J.A. Boyona for a monster calls. Good call. Yeah, you know, I think we all think what Damien Chazelle is definitely in there, and some other people. But um, my fingers crossed for for that pick.
0: Well, the person I want to see—it won't be a surprise—is uh, Barry Jenkins. Right, I have said already on the show that I think that could be an eight-nine best picture, which would mean that he wouldn't make it into best director. But it's actually so directorial. And the story is good, and people kind of already are aware of the story. That I could see him coming in for best director, actually, which would make him a four-five, or even a two-three, right, right. or maybe a yeah. one. And it just screened yesterday at the New
2: York Film Festival, and you know the kind of straggler press people saw it yesterday, and again, and more raves.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, thanks for listening to Little Gold Men this week. Please rate and subscribe in iTunes if you love the show, even if you like it. You can also follow us on Twitter. Please do at Little Gold Men. I'm on Twitter at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S, Mike. Mike underscore Hogan. And Joanna. Joe Rothen. Little Goldman is produced and edited by Alana Milner. Thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply, as always. And this week's award for best description of really anyone's birthday party goes to Joanna Robinson.
1: She was so lovely, but just kind of seeming overwhelmed. She started crying. A bunch of people started crying at that party, actually. <laughs>